founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Neil Willis, the founder and CEO of Hypersign. Neil is one of the most dynamic and involved entrepreneurs we've had on Zero to 5,000. After graduating from the U.S. Air Force Academy, he worked as an electronics engineer for the Air Force, directed information systems for a 100 million member insurance carrier, founded an internet service provider, was CEO for a digital content delivery system software company. In 2013, Neil merged all his prior experiences by founding Hypersign, a software development focusing on creating outstanding content delivery solutions for the education, healthcare, and enterprise markets. In the meantime, Neil found time to go back to school at MIT to study small business operation, as well as serve on the South Carolina Board of Education. Neil, we are excited to learn how you did that all. Welcome to the podcast. Man, I hear that. I hear that like uh, that resume. I'm like, man, that, that sounds like a nice guy. <laughs> Doesn't sound like me. <laughs> man, that guy's done yeah. a lot, right? Yeah, he's been busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, take me back, man. How did how I know we so we always give a brief version from what we were able to research online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Our crafting together of your story, but where would you start the story? Uh, you know, if we went back to school, uh, maybe not going back quite that far, but uh, the Air Force really taught me a lot really on being a man, you know, because I was a fairly young father, you know, uh, as soon as I graduated school, getting married, having having uh, a couple of boys. And but when I was living in Arkansas and I left the service to work for Delta Dental, which was a hundred million dollar insurance company, uh, you were talking about, that was really a really big learning experience for me mm. uh, because I'd really not. You know, that, I was 25 years old at the time to become an IT director of their system nationally and wow. all their national claims. So I, the Air Force had done a great job of educating me. But what I didn't know is, you know, how do I really operate out in the real world? <laughs> you know, because sure. at that point I had been in a military school. I had been in a military environment and I had a very structured and, uh, you know, you, you were always not necessarily told what to do all the time because I, I wasn't also when I left. But it was, uh, uh, it was, it was a lot different. So, um, but it was also at that time I got to use what I'd learned and to, to create, you know, so in, in the service, you're not really, you don't really create, you just kind of execute, you yeah. know, so I got yeah. a chance to really use what I'd learned to start creating. And that's, that's when I started the internet access provider and an ISP and a service provider that blocked access to pornography for families and business. And we, that business took off and uh, did really well with customers like Walmart, you know, uh, JB Hunt, TCBY, uh, the U.S. Baptist Association of Tennessee. And, wow. and yeah, so that, that really, it allowed me to take the learning I'd gotten in school, the discipline and my faith and, you know, just kind of combine all together to create a really cool business model. So wow. That so that was the first, first entrepreneurial uh, path, I guess you'd say. Yeah. And was that when you were 25 or did we skip ahead some? A couple of years. So 25 is when I took the job at Delta Dental out of the Air Force. Okay. Um, and then I, I went palace, to Palace Front with the guard. And um, uh, I'm trying to think about, gosh, I'm so old. I'm trying to think back about the years and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I started Hyper, I started uh, um, uh, Alphanet. That's what the name of the company. 
and uh, that was that was the internet company and that was just okay. a cool experience because that's when they that's when like there was only like AOL and CompuServe right right you know there was like nobody this was in the early 90s you know and the, the internet was just like what is that thing you know well, that's the yeah. that's the thing that Al Gore created remember you know <laughs> so yeah everybody's thinking, everybody's thinking that so uh, it was really early in those days to where you know screeching you know U.S. robotics modems and you know all this kind of stuff. So people didn't really know what it was. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I was living in Little Rock, Arkansas at the time, and um, my church, the MacArthur MacArthur Drive Assembly of God, wanted to be able to broadcast their service on Sundays on the you know on this internet thing. You know. Wow. And, early adopters. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So really, uh, so I said, well, I'm not really sure how to do that. But let me let me find some people that can. So I, I I reached out and found a I found a company in Dallas, Texas. This was around 95, 96. Found a company in Dallas, Texas that were starting to do that for churches, and re, you know, set up a relationship with them. And within the next couple of years of running my business, I had over 300 churches that were actually using that streaming service. Wow. Uh, we had this big like big HP computer that would take the audio in from the mixing board of the of the. Uh, 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 of the church sound system, and it sent out Windows Media to this service in Dallas, Texas, and I was working with their two owners uh, that was doing a fairly small business, and we actually became one of their largest clients they had out of that business. Wow. And and then, so I left that business a couple of years ago, a couple of years after that, to come back home, and I see that dude on the news, and it's Mark Cuban, because that was Broadcast.com I was doing business with. Yeah, you know, and, you know and then so he sold broadcast.com to Yahoo in 1988-1999 just a few years oh, after we had yeah. established our relationship. He had that sports streaming. Is that what broadcast.com was at the time for him, right? He was using they, Prime Well, for he, he, his thing that really hit the top is he did he did the live stream of the Victoria's Secret runway show. No. And I can't remember that. I can't remember the name of the what it was called because you know I never really you know, but he was he, that's what he his name to fame was, and he convinced as a great salesman <laughs> he was, convinced the guys at Yahoo saying, you know what, we're the only guys in the country really doing this kind of stuff. You don't buy us and you're you know, you're foolish and all this kind of stuff. So Yahoo said, okay, here's $5.7 billion to be able to wow. do this. And um, it's really funny because year, probably five years ago, I was, I was running Hypersign. I was in an event in Las Vegas with Samsung. And we had partnered with Samsung, and they were introducing Hypersign as their software partner that's embedded in Samsung displays. And they said, and we just made this acquisition of this company called Mobile that's owned by Mark Cuban. And he said, so he's going to sit there and talk to us because now he's got a show on CNBC called Shark Tank, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I sat in the back of the room going, okay, dude, there's no way that in what, uh, 15 years or so or whatever time is that Mark's going to recognize who I am. You know, so we, uh, uh, so I'm in the back of the room and then at the end of the session, he kind of walks in the back, he's having pictures made and I'm in the back already. So I, I turn around, I'm I walking to him and he looks at me, he goes, he looks down at my badge and looks at me, he goes, Neil. And I'm like, yeah. And uh, so we have a picture made. I'm like, dude, I didn't get any part of that $5.7 billion that I was one of your largest clients. <laughs> he said, oh, you didn't get to check in the mail. I said, no, I got lost somehow. You know, so we, we had a good time. But anyway, you know. That's it, awesome. It, it, things like that are really just really great stories of the people you meet and the opportunities that in business that, you know, that you get into. And and it really makes it great. It, it really makes you learn from them, but, you you, you know. It's uh, and, and I can I can go on about every little stage, not just Alphanet with you know, the internet company I ran, but also coming back home to South Carolina and raising my family and 
And, you know, what's happened with my previous company that was a large uh, AV integration company called Synergy Systems that I spun Hypersign off of. Okay. And um, just uh, every part of the story has just been a great, it's a great chapter, you know? Yeah. You know, not, not necessarily all good, not necessarily all bad, but those bad things you learn from and you grow with and you don't let them keep you down. I mean, it's, it's like watching Rocky, man. You got, you got to keep on watching Rocky over and over again. That needs to be an annual, like, viewing exercise of an entrepreneur is watch Rocky. Yes. You know, because Rocky yes. never stayed down. You know, you got to expect the hits, expect the blows, but you got to learn how to get up. And if you got that determination, because that's that's what differentiates us as entrepreneurs from from everybody else is yeah, that right. you know, we don't stay down. That's you know? right. So, and um, I'll never forget, but it was about five years ago, and it was my first real go into working for myself and starting a company and that kind of thing. And it was in that first year, and it was tough, and it was scary, and it felt like a coin flip on whether this thing was going to work or not, you know. And I yeah. had three young kids and all this kind of stuff, and I, I'll never forget is the middle of the day, I just couldn't function. You know, I was so discouraged that particular day and I was trying to grind through it. And I was like, you know what? I feel like I just need like a personal day. <laughs> I need to like, yeah. I need to do something. And I was just looked up movies and the new, this movie had come out about Winston Churchill and, you know, defending off um, the oh, Nazi invasion. That. Yeah. Yeah. And man, I went, it was like two in the afternoon. You already feel like a loser because you're the only guy that can go to a movie at two in the afternoon, you know? And I'm sitting there and by the end, I was in tears and inspired that the message for me that I felt like God was putting in my heart was like, dude, don't quit. Like you, you can't quit. Like this is going to have to be something you learn to have this kind of grit that this guy was experiencing, right? And there were just these movie scenes that popped out to me that I just kept going back, almost like Rocky. Like that for me was yeah. like Rocky. I just kept coming back to like, it feels like my back's up against the wall. This invading force is coming, but like, man, it's not over yet, right? Like it's not over yet. Let's just keep making smart moves. Let's keep grinding that kind of thing. So that's been my my version of Rocky. It's somebody, I heard a uh, uh, an interview a few months ago that one entrepreneurs called it a unnatural optimism. Yeah. You know, you, you got to, and, and there's got to be a source of that. It just can't come out of nowhere. You know, it, it, it's got to be a drive that you have. And, you know, it, with, with me, it was, it was my faith and that, you know, I, I look back at characters inside of history, like John D. Rockefeller, yep. you know, and I look, look the things that John D. And a lot of people don't know that, you know, they hear the name Rockefeller and they think pedigree, they think, oh my gosh, this is one of the wealthiest men in the world, men in the world. And, uh, during the industrial age, but what people don't really realize is that he grew up on a dirt floor. I mean, he right. was his dad was a was a uh, literally a snake oil salesman in the carnivals. Yeah, and gone all the time, running he, running schemes everywhere. Exactly, he was a con man. Yeah, and here John was, and John because of his mother and because of his mother's faith, he drew on that as a little boy, and ended up becoming a young man and just had this really just dynamic mind of of uh, solving problems in his head and being able to execute them, and then you know. He began to really look at when he was when he started making money, even at the small amount, you know, that he was honoring his money, you know, with God. And he was actually putting that in there and, and you know, uh, giving and continue to do that, you know, continue yeah. as he got older, even to a point to where he walked in. He's going to New York and meeting with Cornelius Vanderbilt at that point was the wealthiest man in the United States and walking up to him as an equal. Yeah. And Cornelius was like, who is this guy? You know, he's like, he's some, <laughs> some little oil guy out of, out of the middle. But he's walking up to him like he's equal because he felt like his mission was big too. Yeah. So you know, he drew on that. He drew on that as from faith. And I, 
I, I've tried to be able to do the same thing in my previous business. This one, this one is called Synergy Systems, was a large integration company. At one time, I had you know 120 employees or so at that company. And I remember sitting in my office and my CFO walking in. He goes, man, we got a cash issue. I just bought out my two partners. So I was a sole owner. And he said, we got a really cash issue, bad cash issue. He said, we've got, we've got, you know, we've got no money in, in the bank for the next two weeks. Mm. He said, we got 120 employees. He said, what, what are we going to do? And he's, you know, and he's looking at me expecting in his, uh, in his history, a panic. And, and, you know, I had the opposite reaction. And I told him, I said, you know, it's in these moments that that's when your faith really counts, you know, and that in these impossible moments. And, you know, within a week, we had a three and a half million dollar contract that come through that we wow. were not expecting. It just fell in our lap. Wow. You know? And I, and there's story after story after story after story of that, that that, you know, as we grew in business and we ended up growing, growing rapidly. I mean, we're having 200 percent growth in some years and and. um uh, that ended up flipping out. I, I got ultimately want to get out of the AV integration company into software, and that's why I spun out HyperSign. But it's uh, um, I think it's those moments when every entrepreneur is going to be faced with something difficult. It's that what do you draw on? What do you pull on for that unhealthy optimism? Yeah. You no. Know, it, 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 well, what do you pull on? What is that source? And uh, because it's got to be something because you're not going to go through your career or through your entrepreneurial path without hard times. You're going to get yeah. hit. Yeah, you know, you're going to get hit. So, uh, so that that's that's kind of if if I look at that entire life of mine that you mentioned when you first introduced the show, I would have to say that was that's the thing that's made the biggest difference for me is having something to draw on. You know, when I was depleted, when I was like spent, you yeah. know, yeah, and 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 ready to check out. You know, there's I'm sure many times I know Rocky wasn't a real real deal, but I'm sure in the movie and the character several times he wanted to check out. Oh he yeah, just wanted, like I'd be a whole lot more comfortable in my, you know, on my sofa in my house right now, That's as right. opposed to any here of this fight. And uh, sometimes, as entrepreneurs, like fathers, we don't we don't get a chance to be able to take much of a break. Sometimes, if there's a lot on us. That's right. You know, we don't get days off very much. We, you know, typically entrepreneurs, and I'm no exception, we take the least amount of time off than our employees. You know, and and so you have to have you have to have something to draw on to keep you going and to pick yourself back up. And and even though what you were talking about, taking a little time just to be able to recharge. That's right. You know, so those are those are necessary things as part of this lifestyle. Yeah. And isn't it weird? We we feel <clears throat> we feel so guilty sometimes trying to create that time, even though we, we we would know like, hey, this makes sense. This makes sense that you would need recharge time. Right. Like if I'm expending this much energy, I've got to be, you know. I've got to be renewing that energy somehow. Right. Um, but yet all the pressure of the business and wanting to make sure that you're setting a good example and all that kind of stuff leads sometimes to, to not really taking that time that you need, whether it's to reconnect with, with your faith or to go on a walk or even to get out of the business and work on the business, you know, sure. uh, those kinds of things. Have you found that has gotten easier for you to do as time has gone on? Have you felt more permission to be, uh, strategic with your time and, and allow you what you need. I, I don't, I think I still a working part of my, um, my career, even, you know, and even in my forties, you know, that I, I really need to be able to, uh, to try to master. Uh, I don't know that I've mastered that yet. I, I think I, I, uh, I'll have these forced times the where I'll, I'll, you know, my wife is going to be a good advocate for that saying, okay, now, you know, we need to take some time off. And I've actually got a, I've got a third little boy now. So I, I've, I went through a second, almost like a second chapter of this. I have a little boy that's almost four 
and being in my forties and having a little boy that's, you know, almost four that, that'd keep you young. Cause you're yeah, running yeah. around <laughs> like crazy. And, uh, so, um, so we've really, um, uh, you know, she keeps, she tells me, she goes, we, we need to take some time off. This is, you know, this is, this is getting heavy. This particular situation is getting heavy. I need for you to be able to step away and I'll take a few days to be able to do that. And, and, uh, uh, I remember I, I, I really had a, I think it was last November, uh, and you said you'd spend some time in South Carolina. I actually started kayak fishing and going down to Hunting Island and down to Fripp off the coast of South Carolina to kayak wow. fish, you know, and, and I've really started liking that a lot. You know, so yeah. that's been kind of my kind of my thing. And I, I, you know, like anything I do, I don't jump in halfway. I jump in. So I'm I'm going to the sports shops and stuff and to get my getting all my gear and, you know, my rides. And yeah. And, uh, and uh, so it, I, I've really kind of I, I think some people find those things, you know, whether it be golf, you know, yeah. or it may be, you know, mount climbing. It could be some of those other things. But uh, recently for me, it's been more of that kite going fishing and I go out there and spend time with buddies and, and just, you know, just just chilling. You know, yeah, and allowing that time, but not forgetting what's going on back at, you know, back at the office, but just allowing your mind just to be able to kind of let it go a little bit and, and, uh, and finding that time to relax. So I think I've gotten better at it. Sure. I think there's a lot more room for improvement, mm. but I think I've gotten better at it. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something that I think we as a, at least as a Western culture, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but for the culture I've grown up in, really struggle to uh I, I would say to be uh rhythmic creatures right right so if you think about it like everything in the world has a rhythm to it there's a day and then there's a night there's a winter and then there's a spring and a right. summer and a fall and everything just kind of goes through seasons and rhythms even our circadian rhythm in our body right it knows when it's awake and then it goes when it's asleep and even while we're asleep it goes through these light stages of sleep deep stages of sleep light stage right. of sleep cycles, so there's yeah. always cycles and there's all but like we don't do that we go this way like we don't go up and down and on and off on and off we just stay on all the right. time and it really kind of defies kind of how we were made you know it's like we're expecting ourselves to be able to be a robot instead of be like everything else in, in creation that needs rhythms, times on, times off. And that's what, you know, I was a, I was a pastor for, before this bit, before I went into this. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was what most challenged me was seeing the, the kind of forced rhythms of rest that were all throughout the faith story where it's like, all right, what time of year is it? It's time for this celebration. You've got to take off. You got to travel three weeks by foot with your family to go observe this. All right, what time is this? This is this time. All right, what day of the week is it? Well, that's when you don't do anything. And it was like, man, thousands of years ago, there was already like this spiritual mandate to listen and lean into the rhythms of rest in order to actually live a life of productivity, right? Sure. Um, and that's been something I've had to come back to again, now going from that being my world to being out in the business world, saying like, I need it now more than I did even when I was in ministry. I need, yeah. I need to start going, what are the rhythms of rest in a daily capacity? in a weekly and a seasonal, that would be like you know, the bigger trips or the going out fishing with guys for a while. Um, and just start to like, all right, I want to not fight nature, but instead learn to work with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about from the, from the biblical story, I mean, it was, you were talking about and doing those comparisons of this and that, it, you know, it's a lot of Solomon that you had in there and, you know, and you're right. Creation, it was, was created to be able to exercise seasons. Exactly. Just that rhythm. And, and we, I think, and, and I, I think it is more of a, a Western culture thing. I, I do see this with like, 
uh, maybe the South Korean culture and stuff of dealing with a lot of the display manufacturers that come from South Korea. And they have a really, really hard driving work ethic, but they also counter it with a really hard play ethic. <laughs> you know, they yeah. kind of like that. Yeah. So uh, I don't know where these guys sleep. They don't sleep. I don't think I don't think South Koreans really sleep, but uh, uh, they really have a really great work ethic when it comes to those things. And we've developed some of that. And I think it's because of it's, it's our drive to perform. Exactly. And our drive to perform when there's space, it's like in a conversation, if you end up having dead space in a conversation, you know, there's an awkwardness. And in performance, if you have that dead space, you're interpreted as being a, being a leader or being whatever that's maybe lazy or, or not, yeah. not really charging, not aggressive enough to do it. So there becomes that guilt. It's like, oh, gosh, I can't take, I can't take a week off of vacation. Because look at where our look at what our AR is right that's now. That's right. That's right. Look at where this, that, and the other. I don't as a leader, and I, I fought I fought this attitude. I don't deserve to be able to experience that because I'm not where I want to be achievement wise. Yeah. You know, yep. and, and I and I've even struggled even with my faith. I felt like um, you know, I've built several small businesses that I love. I love building things for like nothing. You know, like you've heard the whole, you know, uh, comparison of drawing something on a napkin, you know, that that's literally, you know, that how a lot of the business I've done has started. And I love that because I believe God created us to be creators. He's the creator of the earth and we're the creator within the earth. Yeah. And, you know, he taught us from very beginning in Genesis that he, you know, we're not to be consumers, we're to be creators. And that's yeah. what an entrepreneur is. He creates value, you know, for his customers, maybe that didn't exist before. You know, and and um, so I, I I look at those type of things. I look at how that teaches us to become those entrepreneurs. But we don't, like you said, we don't exercise those creative seasons or rhythms or cycles or whatever. That really how the world works. Yeah, how yeah. Nature works. How time works. All those things follow that. Yeah. And um, I think that's one of my challenges right now is to is to be able to just like you were saying is just to, to find out how how we how can we end up becoming um more balanced in our life and still end up having performance uh, you know to drive performance and and, and, I, and i've been really unfortunate part of me adopting that lifestyle of performance is i think i inadvertently put that on my employees sure and, and i would end up putting giving them that burden or giving them that that weight yeah and as opposed to giving them an example, I would give them an example of hard work ethic and driving. Say, you know what? You're, I'm the, you know, you would never outwork me. Yeah, you know, I want yeah, yeah. to lead by example. That's really the wrong attitude because I, what I want to do is I need to coach them and I need to teach them how to be better at their job. You know, as opposed to outworking them, as opposed to outperforming them, this is not a competition. Yeah. You know, I, I want to teach them how do you become better at your job and let me help you. Yeah. You know, in a sense, it's a reverse model to where I'm serving them to say, how, how do I, what, what barriers can I remove inside of your path to make sure that we're achieving these goals that we're measuring on a regular basis? That's right. And that's one of my, that's one of my current uh, things I'm trying to do now is, is transition out of this whole, you know, I'm going to outwork everybody in the business yeah. to being one of being more of a coach. Yeah. And uh, um, it, it's fun. It, it really is. Cause part of that is saying, you know what, employee, you've been working hard. Here's my Marriott points I had from I've built up over the past two years. Why don't you go take a vacation, take your family with it, you know, because you really deserve to be able to do those things. So cool. You know, and, and, you know, cycle count toward PTO or whatever. 
And um, um, so I, I'm, I'm trying to learn to do more of that and be more of a, a coach and more like a dad, to be honest yeah. with you. I know it sounds kind of weird because some of my employees are, you know, as old as I am, or maybe a few of them are a couple, old, couple years older, but more like a dad saying, I, I want to teach you how to become you know, better at what you do by teaching it. And you can take that. And you can go to your next career position that you grow to. Yeah. And you know what you learn, and hopefully you'll carry that lesson with you. Yeah. You know, so, so I think I think the Bible in general has a lot to teach us about leadership. That for some reason the Western culture has taken a blind ear to or a blind eye to. Yeah. Yeah. And and just said, you know, um, we're not going to adopt that cyclic rhythm and type thing. We're going to go another direction. That's right. And that causes anxiety, causes stress. It causes, oh, man. causes us to die at, you know, early age of heart attack because of all that stuff. So, yeah. Um, you when know, we do uh, it in the name of performance, right? Exactly. Which you mentioned earlier. And so one, we've elevated performance with a capital P almost like it's a God we worship. Like if I don't yeah. have performance, who am I? Right. But even if we lower it down to just what it really is, is like performing in things that matter. Hopefully we're doing work that matters. And so we care about the result. Even that though, we still see it as a trade-off. We say, all right, but if I stop working hard and what I mean by working hard and take rest for myself or recovery, it's going to diminish the performance, right. but that's not true. Like if you were just to even look at sports and say, okay, are they on all the time? Right. No, they are incredibly disciplined about when they're on and then is equally intentional about when are they off and what do they do when they're off mm -hmm. to get the gains that came from practice, right? So like in the book Peak Performance, he says the, the recipe of growth, he studied uh, endurance athletes for decades, is stress plus recovery. So stress plus recovery equals growth. And if you don't have that formula, you may have the stress that had the potential to get growth, but you didn't offer your muscles recovery that recovery time translates the micro tears in your muscles into muscle growth. Right. And so in business, it's the same thing. It's like, man, of course, it's like, it's like, of course we got to work hard. That's that part of the equation is not going away. Right. We have to right. push ourselves, test ourselves, like get uncomfortable. But if we're not regularly giving ourselves recovery, it's actually not translating to the level of performance it could. So even right. if you're performing well, you have no idea. So the guy that broke the four minute mile, Roger Bannister, the year that he broke the four-minute mile, he tried years in a row. He took three weeks off before the race. He had never done that. He'd always trained as hard as he could up into the race, right? Because he thought more miles under my belt, more hours practicing, I'll have a better chance of breaking the four-minute mile next year. He took three weeks off and went up to the Alps with his family, spent time with his kids, walked around, uh, and then showed up to the race. He said when he was on the start line, he knew he was going to break it. He had never felt that way. He always hoped he was going to break the four-minute mile. He said he knew he was going to break the four-minute mile. And they asked him why, and he said, because in that moment, I took an inventory of how I felt, and I didn't realize what fresh felt like. He said, I always thought in the other races I was fresh, but this, he's like, I, I now actually felt fresh and ready for the race. And sure enough, he broke the four-minute mile that time, right? Because he had given his body recovery. And so, anyways, this is something that we haven't talked about on the podcast, why I'm geeking out about it, because it's been so big for my team, for the clients we serve, is even just saying, like, of course you're going to work hard. No one's telling you not to. But if we can build in the right rhythms of recovery in small and in big ways, you're going to be mentally fresh. You're going to be emotionally fresh. Like, think about that, Neil. Like, you're a parent like I am. I have three young kids. The difference between me being a parent on a good day and a bad day is often the mood I'm in. Right? Oh, absolutely. And it's often the energy level I have. So let's say you just didn't get a lot of sleep. I got a young one as well. I've got a seven, a five, and a three. 
let's say your three-year-old, your four-year-old keeps you up all night and then work was particularly draining and you didn't even have time for, for lunch, right? And then you get home and it's chaos. Your patience is not to be found, right? You're, you're drawing from resources you don't really have a lot of. But let's say it's a different day and you got plenty of sleep, man. You had a great day at work. You really mm-hmm. took time to rest and reflect and be grateful. You get home and there's chaos and you're like, I got this. You know, you're like, hey, what's going on, man? Let's talk. And I'm like, the ability was always there. But when I didn't have energy, it starts to zap you. It's not an excuse, but it starts to zap you of your of your capabilities. Does that make sense? It does. I I, I resonate with that a lot. Um, Jack, my three-year-old, he'll be four at the end of this month. But he, um, um, whenever daddy comes home, man, it's like literally last night, I, I walk in the door and he runs. I love this, but because I know this will not always happen because my older boys don't do this anymore. Yeah. He's like, daddy, you know, and, and I'm like, all right, what's up, dude? He says, daddy, we got to go upstairs to my super secret superhero playroom and he's just yes. doing it with so much drama and he's he's kind of kneeled down you know kind of you know in his stance power stance he says yes. are you ready daddy and i'm like hold a second jack we're gonna have some rules first he, he looks at me he says well what rules daddy and i said you know daddy's always captain america <laughs> so as long said, as i get to be a captain as america. Long as i'm captain america we're good and we go up to play so that you're right that attitude really sets that entire day and i think a lot of what i'm learning more and more in life is that life is around two things, process and event. Yeah. We're going through this process. You know, biblically, it works through that too, to prepare us for an event, you know. And, um, you know, Benjamin Franklin actually has a saying that success is the culmination or intersection of uh, opportunity and preparation. preparation. Yeah. And so is it biblically, it's the same way. That if that moment the where Jack ran up to me at home and he's talking about his super secret superhero playroom that we're going to play with, and I've had this horrible day, or maybe even mentally, if I have had a bad day Men- and I'm in the car yeah. to way home, I haven't actually said, you know what, I need to be able to forget what's happened in my day and to prepare myself to spend time with my son, then I'm going to end up – this event is not going to go very well. <laughs> That's right. Because what I didn't do is I didn't intervene into the process to be able to prepare to be able to have a relationship or have that that moment with my son or with my wife or or with my friends or family what it might be and same thing in business if if you look at that same formula if you will and put it inside of business if financially or from a strategic or training standpoint uh, or whatever it might be, we're not preparing our teams or ourselves to take advantage of opportunities when those events arise because sometimes they come up quickly. Yeah. You know, they yeah. come up quickly. You know, we'll get that phone call and they, oh, we've got a project in Las Vegas. This has literally happened to us in the last few months about to do this and this and this. Are you right? God, can you guys do this? I'm like, yeah, here's the, here's the, here's the, uh, what we've done before, you know? And so process and event. So yeah, I think a lot like of times that. it's about how do we end up building these, these, um, processes within the process, I guess, almost like a sub point to, uh, to when that event happens that we have the ability to take advantage of it. And I think in life, that's that cycle, cycle part of it. You exactly. Know, we're talking about too. Exactly. You know, be a part of the process. Maybe that could be, a, there's your name of a book, be a part of the yeah. process, you know, be the process. And, and so when that event happens that you can actually take advantage of it and you can actually benefit from it and get that's free right. from it. That's so, right. Cause um, think about this, like when it comes to rest, we're just talking about rest right now as a version of recovery. It could be mental rest, emotional rest, physical, whatever. Sure. We usually only give that to ourselves as a reward at the end of some kind of sprint. That's exactly right. Or as a as a uh, last-ditch escape because we're about to burn out. Right. 
that's not the same thing as being prepared. That's correct. Right? That's saying that's like I'm unprepared often, meaning like I'm just giving out my energy. I'm never recovering. And then at some point I'm forced, like I remember a friend uh, taking a sabbatical and it wasn't because it was time and because it was the right thing to do. It was because he was on his last leg. And I remember grabbing him and be like, this should never happen again. He's like, what? I was like, you, you have like nothing left in the tank and that's why you're going away for three months. That's right. not the point of this. You were supposed to go out away for three months out of discipline. It should feel like a hard choice to make. Like I have energy, but I'm still going to go away. Why? So that you can continually be prepared for whatever you face. Right. And it's the same thing as a business leader. It's like, I don't just earn, you don't earn rest. It's part of the need that you were built with. And so you want to make sure that if tomorrow someone comes in, like, okay, imagine your friend or sorry, was it your CFO that came in and said, there are two weeks of uh, income, you know, revenue left for this company. And you had not taken care of yourself. You know, you are not in a good space mentally. You'd already been grinding and getting no sleep and, you know, kind of losing yourself and whatever. You would not have handled that the same way. But wherever you were that, that, that time and space, you sound like you were grounded. It sounded like you were well, encouraged. That I was, yeah, yeah, it was. You know what I'm saying? And it's like your preparation of whatever led up to that moment allowed you to handle the way that you would want to handle that moment uh, versus you freaking out too, you know, and you, what, what, how did we get here? You're the CFO or, you know, that whole thing. Um, so super I think, crazy. I think in those situations, it's impossible in those mindsets to where you feel you, I'll use it like a tank thing. Cause I've used this analogy with my employees. Uh, when you're operating on empty, it's impossible to think strategically. Yes. You know, it's impossible to be able to do that. And um, so you imagine a car and you're riding down the freeway in a car and you in Atlanta, you, you get 85, man. We, we, we got 85 up through here. Interstate 85. Yeah. yeah. And you're going down 85. If you get, if that, if that tank, if that uh, fuel gauge, is on E. What is your focus? It's all what is your fuel. priority? Yeah. It's basically I am trying, I am praying, I am going out and <laughs> kicking the ground, trying to get to the next gas station. Yeah. Yeah. That is a tactical move. It's not a strategic move. Yeah. So what I'm doing is I my focus is all about I'm looking at the gauges. I'm going, I'm turning off the air conditioning so I can kind of streamline and cut off the you know increase the efficiency and make sure the windows up. Yeah. If your gas tank is full. What is your focus? It's not on the gas tank. It's not to no. get to the closest gas station. You're now thinking about your destination. Exactly. And what you need to be able to do, what you can do before getting there, how you can prepare, what's going to happen when this happens. You can think more strategically, you know, not not actually, uh, you know, tactfully when I'm just getting to the next gas station. Yeah. So when that tank is depleted, you cannot think strategically. You yeah. can't end up planning what's going to end up happening because it it because you're in your thought, yeah. in your mind, you're like, there's a possibility I might not even make it there. That's right. It's self-preservation mode, right? You begin to doubt yourself that I'm going to end up being on the side. Now you start thinking about now I have an emergency triage plan to where I'm going to be on the right. side of the road, you know, stranded and needing somebody to bring a tank. I won't even make it to my destination. Yeah. You know, yeah. so so that that's that's part of that process and event is that you've got to continue to make sure you've got enough in the tank. So wise. Think you strategic, you know, think strategically about yeah. what you're going to do when you get to that destination. And, and and I say all this not from a position of of, of mastery or, or even authority. Uh, yeah, you're learning. Like, I'll walk through this too. Exactly. You know, even, like I said, even in my age and, and running business as far as long as I have, it is always a learning process, yes. you know, life and business. Um, I, I think there's some consistent things you could end up doing in business to provide, give you the chance of being successful. 
uh, just like going through, you know, you mentioned about being a minister, going through Proverbs. And, you know, if you exercise all the things in Proverbs, it doesn't guarantee you success, but the chance it's, it's a, it's an odds or probabilities. Up. Yeah. Your probabilities <laughs> yeah. go up that you actually are going to be successful because you're exercising wisdom inside your decision-making. And I think that's the same thing as business thing with business is that you, you put these practices that you've learned or people have taught you, whether it's mentors or, or in schooling or whatever in place, it increases your chance of being successful. But there's never going to be there's never going to be this full foolproof you know formula. Of course. So being prepared yeah. for those times when it doesn't happen is going to be. I, I think that's probably even more important than actually the formula or the regular things you're doing to to give you that or give you the higher probability of success. Because otherwise, if you're doing all these things everybody's ever taught you, but you've never run into a hard time. Yeah. And the moment you hit it for the first time, it puts you on the ground. Yeah. You know, and you don't know what to do. Yeah. And if you don't have the resilience to be able to pick up and go from that point, or you blame it back on and say, well, I did everything that I was taught to do. Well, yeah, but you've got to personally experience this and you've got to recover. You've got to decide on your own, I'm going to get up and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, you know, have more gas in the tank next time or whatever and use it as yeah. a learning experience to move forward. Yeah, I had a, so, I had a mentor that said, um, I never fully trust somebody that doesn't walk with a limp. There you he's go. Like, I like that. Yeah, he's like, man, if I see someone walk with a limp emotionally, mentally, whatever, like the person's been through something, they've learned something, they've, they've tested themselves, their life has tested them. And you just, it's, there's something different about that. I want to make one more point sure. on this because the story came up and then I want to get on uh, to a similar but different focus question with you. Um, I heard Elon Musk interviewed recently and it was really f- interesting because I, I pay attention to him, just similar to you. I've mm-hmm. read Rockefeller's books, Benjamin Franklin. Like I'm always paying attention to generational people. Like sure, yeah. what's yeah. going on there, right? And I found it fascinating. It was a few years back. There was a bunch of articles about him sleeping on the factory floor. I don't know if you remember that oh, yeah. or not. Yeah, I do. I've read it. It was like Tesla was almost going under and he's on the factory floor. And, um, you know, situationally, I think that that uh, was demanded of him. But at the same time, he was giving interviews and and he would just kind of nonchalantly, yeah, I don't sleep. You know, I sleep, a, you know, a few hours a night and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, interesting. I wonder if that's going to catch up with him. Right. And then recently I heard him on an interview and the same person asked him, are you still not getting sleep at night? He's like, oh, no, I sleep at least six, six hours a night, which for him is a lot. For some people, that's still under. And they go, really? I thought, you, you know, and he goes, I, I just found, I did the numbers. I realized anytime I was getting less than six hours of sleep, it wasn't optimal. Sure. <laughs> and his, his kind of, you know, analytical brain, his, he's his like, formula. Yeah. 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 He's like, listen, man, I, I paid attention and realized if I got less than six hours of sleep, he called it a diminishing return. He's like, it was a diminishing return. I may have made more work that night, but it was going to uh, actually cost me more than it made me because I was going to be poor in my communication the next day. I was gonna be slow in making decisions. And so I was just interesting to see someone that driven go, yep, I need at least six hours a night. Right. Um, so that's clearly, I want to ask you this on a, on a, on a different note. Sure. What, what have been some other examples of either practices, wisdom practices or processes in business uh, that you would look at and say, this has been awesome. Like this has been key for the results my business gets or for, you know, my people, uh, can you think of any kind of practices or processes that, that you really uh, have discovered and love implementing? I, um, you know, coming from a military background and, you know, my, um, my position in the air force was, uh, was, I was a, you know, electrical engineer. Uh, I used to design, design things and, and design actually uh, video surveillance systems uh, that were on the belly of AWACS reconnaissance aircraft and wow. things of that nature. So it was all, that was all about measurement you know, and, and metrology and, and uh, um, not meteorology, but metrology, the, the science of measurement. 
And so I, I began to have a love of feedback and feedback mechanisms. Cool. And I learned that um, I learned that if you have regular feedback uh, or measurement on a different system, you can actually make these smaller adjustments. A lot of organizations they'll look at, well, we need to do quarterly feedback or we need to do annual feedback. And I'm talking about employee feedback. I'm talking about measurement of different systems inside the inside the business to be able to see how they're trending. And um, I actually read a book. Um, I had read a book. I don't have it here on my here on my uh, my desk. Called Traction by Gino Wickman. Gino Wickman. Yeah, dude. Yeah, we I, we run our business off EOS. I love. It. So we we I have this uh, large on the outside side of this wall is this large sixty five inch portrait display, and we call it Boss. Okay. And and it's the business operating system and structure. So it's really I took a lot of what Gino Wickman uh, built out in that. I took what uh, scaling up and I took scaling all these up, different Vern. yeah all these yeah, yeah Vern Hart, Michael Gerber, Patrick Lencioni, yep. you know all these different great business authors. And and I encourage anybody out there who is is actually a, a budding entrepreneur building it read. Just read, yeah, you know, and then I, I would carry a old school, you know, like voice recorder in my pocket. And every time I heard some nugget of wisdom or information, I'd record it and then I'd put it on a flashcard on my iPhone, these little flashcard apps to be able to repeat it in my mind over and over cool. again. So I've got it just, it's just something in my head. But that book, that book with traction really taught me a lot in the measurement side. And yeah. so what that I did weekly is I built scorecard, a, right? Exactly right. So yeah. we would have scorecards and because we're, we're a visual communications company, digital sign, we built scoreboards. So each team here in my office, we have team suites, they wow. have scoreboards and it's very graphically in nature. And it takes anything that we're every Friday. I let the reason it's so quiet here at Hypersign is because I let all my employees off at noon on Fridays to go spend time with the family. So every Friday at noon, they have to enter their, their data about, okay, where are the sales numbers? What's the estimated gross margin? What's the number? of licenses that were brought in yeah. what is our trend for the month for that friday so if we're eight days into a 30-day month then we should be selling this this should be and then same the same thing for engineering what has been our number of recalls or or bugs that have been reported uh in operations to, you know the customer service calls and re responses we've got is our nps results you know net promoter score yep. at a certain rate and we measure all these things first starting at a 10-year bhag big hair yep. audacious goal going down to a three year, going down to one year, one, going down to a month 90. and going down to a, to a, a week. Yeah. And then looking at this big 90 day scorecard, how have we done in all these different categories of the business? And that became something really natural to me because of my background in the service mm. is that I love measurement. And when you're bringing in employees which I hate hiring new employees <laughs> <I really do. laughs> because it could possibly disrupt culture. And I love culture. Yeah. But when you're, when you're bringing them on, it's very easy to explain. This is, this is what I expect to you because I think there's more problems inside of an employee employer relationship based off expected or, or, or uh, lack of clear expectations. It, it is the clarity yeah. of expectations of what it is, what I'm expecting of you. And that's not clearly communicated. You know, so these scorecarding systems really provide the ability to say, okay, listen, your number is five. That's what I want. And what makes up that five is these things. This is your leadership management, you know, uh, quotient score that's given by your yep. supervisor. Here's the number of this and that, and you got to accomplish. And it doesn't mean it doesn't excuse them for building great relationships with customers because I think that is a facilitator for those numbers. I think that is something that is going to be a, a implied that we're going to build relationships. But I think that data really provides a great avenue of how this has been done. And I've even looked at how 
um, that related to like even discourse and placing people with different like disc profile scores and stuff. Yep. And they're, they're in certain positions, yep. you know, like, like your engineers, software engineers are going to be more of your SCs are not going to be really your Ds, you know, and, and how do I position people based off their personality profile into certain positions in the company? You know, uh, Gino actually positions it as right seat, wrong seat, uh, you yep. know, right person, wrong person. Yeah. And a lot of that is around their personality scores yeah. or do they end up, exercising the values of the company. Yep. You know, so, so at, 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 at my business here, you know, we're, we're just like you, we're in the Southern United States. So, you know, we're known for our iced tea. That's what, that's what everybody knows the South for. We have yeah. our iced tea. Yeah, so sweet, at sweet at, iced tea. At, that's right. So at <laughs> Hypersign, iced tea, I-C-E-T is innovation, compassion, excellence, and transparency. So mm. those are our four value statements. And so how well, like Gino did, he related how well does your employees relate or exercise on a regular basis, your yeah. value statements, Yeah. you know, and what seat are they in? He kind of stole a page out of the, uh, as the Collins, Collins book of good to yeah. great, your Jim Collins and, and say what seat on the bus do they actually uh, uh, fit well into. So I think the answer to your question is that th because of my education, the measurement aspect of it is really fascinating to me Yeah. and looking at a person and, you know, their, their personality and how well they would perform in one role and not perform well in another. And part of the CEO's role, like I said earlier, is saying what barriers can we remove to help you be successful? Well, Correct. maybe that's moving you from over here to over here. Yeah. You no, know, because because it's your more personality congruent with your personality and exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the CEO's role in a sense is almost like a you know, as a kid, I used to love Legos. It's almost like sometimes you can just build this to make it make it work the way you want it to. Mm. And sometimes this Lego piece fits better over here than it does over here. And um, and there's all these dynamics that make the what is the perfect Lego piece to be able to fit this particular one? You know, so I I, I love measurement. Yeah. And I, I love measurement not as a not as a um, uh, an overall encompassing tool for the company itself, but as a, as a component of that, mm -hmm. you know, um, because I also teach them, I said, listen, we make decisions first off heart. That's the people then off head. That's the numbers before we take action. That's the hands. Yeah. So hard head hands. We never make a decision just off head and hands because then we're forgetting the people. Yeah. We never make it just off of your head and your hands, but then, you know, or the heart and hands, because then we forget the numbers. We've got to know, we've got to consider the people. We've got to consider the numbers before we take action. Mm. You know, so that's all of those things kind of, kind of almost like a big strategic, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's so I love, so I think I'm going through this, this transition now of, of even teaching, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So even, even teaching, I, I feel that with HyperSign, I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be leading, leading this organization because in my mind and, you know, even, even with my faith, I feel what I'm really kind of called and more been chosen to do is to be able to teach people how to be successful in small business, Yeah. you know, and, and how do I teach them? And not just in any, some, any small business, but maybe one that, that is driven by a faith centered entrepreneur, a faith centered leader, you know, how do we do that? You know, and, and um, you know, I, I was, I was, gosh, I was talking to a mentor of mine the other day and he was telling me, he said, how come you aren't teaching? And I, and I told him, I said, you know, I've got this thing in my head where you go to conferences and conventions mm -hmm. and the most successful guy is the one on the stage. That That's the guy that's made a billion dollars out of what he's doing. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right, right. And, and I'm not at the billion dollar, I'm, I'm not, I'm not even qualified to be on that stage up there, <laughs> you know, relevant to 
to general business, I've been very, I've been successful over my career, but I'm not that dude, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I felt like unless I was that dude, that's back to the performance mentality. Yeah. Unless I was that dude, I really didn't have anything of value to share. Right. That's that, you know? that BS story in your head. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. But what I didn't, what I didn't think of is like my business and people, I love having a small business. I love having the number of employees I have, you know, and having hundreds of employees, there's a lot of maybe pride or something in that, but that's not really what, what I feel comfortable with right now. Yeah. And a lot of people are like that, you know, like there's no such thing as a middle-sized software company. They, they don't exist. <laughs> They're small. And once they recognize value, then they become part of a bigger company. And we have three or four PE firms reach out to me every day, you know, wow. especially since the ink list come out, it's just been bananas. But, um, but I think at that point, it, it, it taught me to say, okay, I can teach what I know, what I've learned yeah. over the past 20-something years of running business and doing that. And what about if it's not just you know, U.S.-based entrepreneurs, it's young adults that want to do it, and maybe even other countries. I've, got a, I've done missions work and stuff like that of teaching people entrepreneurial and business skills in other countries that really don't even have an ecosystem to tell them, mm. teach them how to be able to do that. You know, so a lot of this is kind of a giving back. You know, how do, yeah. we, how do we take what we've learned as business people and how do we teach the next generation how to be able to do that? And um, how do we teach them how to be that Rocky? Yeah. You know, uh, or how to be that Winston Churchill, you know, it had to be those things and something that a book can't necessarily teach him or YouTube doesn't necessarily teach him. So, right, so right. I, I think there's a tradition, a transition that I'm going through right now as a leader is that um, is that I'm going to be more of a coach teacher uh, as this next generation of my life. That's my next cycle. If you there will. we go. Yeah. Just do well, that. I love it, man. It sounds like a very natural um, next step for you. I, I get it. Um, that's my world. If you need some help, let me know. We oh yeah. Well, don't, don't, don't offer transition. what you can't give. Cause I may tap into it. So Come on. I may call you up. Come on. So. I love it. Okay. Let's do this. Let's go ahead yeah. and get, uh, into the lightning round questions. I got five for you that we ask every founder here on the podcast. Sure. Um, first thought that comes to mind, no need to overthink it. Number one, if you can ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Uh, obtain wisdom. Love it. For all you know, the reasons I, we just talked about, right? They got the wisdom. I think that that really prevent that gives them a good life, a good work life, good personal life. If you're pursuing wisdom, then those things, just like what you said, just like what we talked about, that the probabilities yeah. go up that you're going to have a good life. Love it. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And what about the worst? So, uh, I, um, I had a mentor years ago that when I had my integration company, he was, he was actually the first investor in my company. When I started my company, he, he handed me a check for a hundred thousand dollars and said, Neil, I, I believe in you. You know, this is be investment or it can be a loan, whatever you want to see. And he said, I'm going to tell you one thing to, 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 you know, with your business run like this, he said, I know you have uh, integrity and he said, I've watched it and seen you in the business. He said, but it not only has to look right, it has to be right. Mm. You know, so he taught me a lesson about integrity and he yeah. told me, he says the name and he was an 86 year old man that was a highly successful electrical engineer out of Columbia, South Carolina, had a business since 1953 and every single year was profitable. But he told me, he says the Latin word for integrity is integer hmm. and in math, an integer is a whole number. So he said in and with an integer and, and from an integrity standpoint, it's being whole. Yeah. And whole is actually when your words and your actions match. Yeah. When you actually have a mismatch of that or you have a fraction, 
because a fraction is not a whole number, which is not an integer, which is not integrity. So when you have a fraction of what, what that wholeness is, then people begin to not believe what you say. Mm. If you say one thing and you do another, then you lack integrity. You lack wholeness. And as a business leader, there's going to be things that's going to pull on you to be a fraction. I don't, I don't mean this in a common sense. They call fractional CFOs and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a I new word. I, I, I'm, I'm talking from the integrity standpoint. You don't want yeah. to be fractional. You want to be whole. So he taught me the lesson. This is how you exercise being an integer in your business and being whole in your business and actually exercise what integrity means. So that was the best advice that, that, I, that I've ever gotten. I love it. Anything come to mind for, for the worst? Something that, that either got you in trouble or you had to you intentionally ignored? Uh, I think my grandfather growing up, I, um, um, you know, I went to college like everybody else did. And, and, you know, he was a really, really bad alcoholic. Hmm. And so I think in life, you know, he, he ultimately, uh, at 86 years, almost 90 years old, I think it was about 89 or so passed away a couple of years ago and he passed away with hardly anything in his pocket. And, hmm. uh, a lot of it was because the lifestyle that he chose was the one that was driven by alcohol, whether to cover up pain or whatever the reason would be in his life. And so I think the lesson he taught me was what kind of man not to be. Yeah. You know, and because he had a strange, he had four daughters and, you know, they were stressed quite a bit, you know, with the relationship he had with his daughters and his wife and his family. And, and, um, and I always, I grew up as a young man seeing him and like, I don't, I don't want to be that kind of man. Mm. You know, I, so he taught me by showing me what not to be. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he taught yeah. me a bad lesson, but I, I, I really took the inverse of that by saying, okay, I don't want to be that kind of man. So I do the opposite of what he did. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, um, but, but I think that would probably be the best life learning lesson that was, it wasn't so much bad advice he gave me. Cause I don't think he yeah. ever asked me to be like him. He just did it by showing me what not to be. Yeah. You know. And by by doing so, gave you the the example of what you not want to be, which That's leads right. you to what you do want to be, right? That's correct. That's correct. That's yes. awesome. Yeah, uh, I know many people can relate to that. Uh, number three, what causes you the most worry or stress leading your organization? Uh, I think it's that. Um, I think it's myself. I think it's that that pressure I put on myself to be able to, like I said earlier, about that performance mentality. Yeah. And uh, it's almost like these questions here, like a review of all what we talked about over the last 30 minutes or so. It's really the performance mentality in my head that that I, I just don't let go. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes and I, I you know and maybe it's a maybe it's a um, uh, you know me growing up in the 80s it was always about you earn you get what you earn you work for it you do this that and the other and um, you know I don't I, I want to work I want to go ahead and I want to you know I, I I was talking to an employee today I said you know I don't mind pulling the plow but I want to look back and see the results from that plowing you know I don't mind being that guy to do that and um, so I think that, but in a, also in a bad part of that is that it can put an expectation on you that you always either need to be working or you're worthless. Yeah, there's, there's right. a one, there's a, there's a almost a one to zero type of mentality. You're either worth, work, very worthful or very uh, yeah, uh, you know, worthy yeah. or not. And I think that's the battle I've got is that trying to be able to think that, you know, I, I am not valued by the amount of work that I do. I'm valued in the results maybe that I'm generating. And, uh, and I've learned that through my life that I've got to really, you know, be smart and, and actually pass what I know on to a next generation or, or to my group uh, and, and mentor them. But uh, I would probably say my biggest, biggest problem with that is be my own mind in a sense. I resonate with that a lot. 
Yep. Not alone, my friend. Yeah. Number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? So uh, are we talking about business or personal? You can do either or both. Okay. Um, I am 49 years old. So in 10 years, I'll be 59 years old. Uh, the 10-year BHAG for Hypersign, which started about two years ago, was we will be driving uh, over 500,000 uh, public displays globally. Wow. And so again, we have drawn that down quantifiably down to the week, you know, the way we do our measurement system. So 500,000 displays. Now with the market that's growing at about 20% CAGR, that's going to be a lot larger in, you know, 10 years or eight years than it is now, but that is the business, uh, the big hairy audacious goal. Um, my personal BHAG in 10 years is uh let's see jack jack will be almost 14 years old so i won't even i, I, I won't even have a quiet house so <laughs> it'll still be crazy so, yeah so i i think it's actually probably living on a lot of land up in landrum south carolina you know looking over the mountains and yeah and just enjoying time with my family and and uh, being able to travel internationally to to serve and uh, to do those things i i think it's just it's going to be more time with family Cool. And, and really kind of stepping away. Uh, like I said, I'm in that transition now, but stepping away from being actively a part of the business and more of a mentor yep. type of role. I think yep. that's really, really, that's my next, that's my next uh, cycle, if you will, or my next season is more of a mentorship role than it is actually of active business running. Love it. I love it. Okay. Number five, if you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past and tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window. When would you go back and what would you tell yourself? Uh, I would probably go back to when I was a teenager, you know, and, and I I've always been pretty driven, but I didn't, you know, my mom and dad did a great job of raising, you know, me and my sister, but we didn't really have a lot of money. I mean, we grew up kind of blue collar. My dad was a railroad man uh, and, uh, you know, single family income. And mm. so I was very driven, but I think there was some decisions I made in life that I probably would have made a little differently, you know, now that you're looking at retrospect, uh, sure. you know, and uh, maybe trusting, not trusting a certain person. You know, I had a business partner that ended up costing me millions uh, that, it, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a bad one. Wow. Um, and uh, so I tend to trust a lot easier than I probably should. And I think that comes with wisdom and experience as you get older, that you really start to uh, start to be able to discern, that not everybody has good intentions. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and to those guys, a signature on a piece of paper really means nothing. <laughs> you know? So, uh, so the legal aspect of that you could throw out the window. And um, so, I think I, I would want to, you know, back to that initial question about wisdom. I would want that for myself as a young man. Right, right. You know, I want to be able to to impart wisdom uh, on myself as, as as a young man, as a young teenager, to to say, you know what, be wise about dealing with people you know, and the decisions you make and the people that you trust. Yeah. And uh, I think that was what I would, what I'll do, you know. Beautiful. Well, Neil, thank you so much. I know you are busy and you have taken time to do what the next season sounds like is for you, which is you got on here, shared your story, shared your wisdom. Uh, man, it is well-received by me. I know it's going to be so helpful for all the young business builders listening to this podcast. So, uh, Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being vulnerable uh, and sharing the life lessons and business wisdom that you have acquired. I appreciate it, man. It was fun. I had a good time. Same here, man. Have a good one. All right. Be good. Thanks. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. 
Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.